Rookie Fever, the show that looks closely at NFL rookie values all year long. The Rookie Fever Podcast. We just having fun and we working, baby. That's it, baby. Hello and welcome aboard the cruise ship Rookie Fever bound for the 2023 Rookie QB class. Before we leave port, please be sure your passports and tickets are ready for validation. It's time to depart. I'm your captain, Mike Finero, and helping me arrive at our destination safely today is the QB guru himself, Mark Schofield. You can find him on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. You can also find him here tonight with me on the Rookie Fever podcast. Mark, thanks for coming on. How are you? I am doing well, Mike. It is great to be here. Uh, we were sort of chatting beforehand. So I think this is what, year three we've been this doing is year this year? Three, yep. Um, previewing quarterbacks. And it's going to be a bit more of an enjoyable show, I think, than last oh, year's version. So much. Where so we're much. sort of <laughs> struggling to find things to talk about with a yes. you know somewhat down rookie year of quarterbacks. This is obviously a lot different, but excited to be here, excited to dive in. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, Last year was a little more challenging, we'll say. Before we get into this properly, let me briefly explain to our listeners that this rookie profile will be a little different than the others. Typically, we talk about one rookie and examine them. And this podcast, we're going to talk about the 2023 QB rookie class. This is Mark's third year, as we mentioned. Mark, are you ready to get into this? Excited and ready to go. Rookie Fevers. Rookie Player Profile Edition. Nice. Okay, to start the show, we are going to play QB Matchmaker. Remember that, Mark? I do. (laughs) Followed by three questions on each of seven different QBs. This is a different class. (laughs) And we will finish the episode off by giving you three landing spot reactions, just to kind of have a little fun towards the end there. Are you ready to play? You ready to play matchmaker? Ready to dive in. All right, sweet. All right, I'm going to give you six QB traits and ask you to match them with the 2023 rookie QB QB of your choice. Anyone, anyone. All right, this is this is the big one. Most complete quarterback in this class. For me, it's CJ Stroud. Yeah. Um, and you know, I the one thing that well, one of the many things I love about this class is you could tell me that quarterback X is your QB one. And it could be one of, I'd say four, maybe even five. If you want to say hand and hook or you throw him in. Wow. Um, Is your QB one. I say, I might not agree with it, but I can at least see the argument, you know, but for me, Stroud's the most complete, you know, and I I think the accuracy, the process, and he checks all those boxes. Then you see the big question mark, obviously, Mike was, the athleticism, the ability to throw against pressure. Mm -hmm. And then you watch the Georgia game and it's like, okay, well, he does that too. And so for me, I was trending towards Stroud QB1 anyway, but that Georgia game sort of put him over the top. He's the most complete to me. Excellent. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to go there. What about competitive toughness? Oh, man, that... That is like, first of all, such a critical trait at the quarterback yes. position. We cannot 
overemphasize this enough. Like, yes. and, and it's something I have missed on in the past. Um, Dak Prescott, for example, I had it. My notes are literally in the corner over there, old white binders back in the pen and paper days. And I can pull out the Dak Prescott competitive toughness, highlighted and all that stuff, but I didn't grade it properly enough. So I adjusted my scale the next year's, which led to Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson as QBs two and one for me. Nice. Um, Mahomes two, Watson one. Um, so I learned from that. So it's a it's a critically important trait. It, it matters so much to the position. I think Bryce Young is okay. that guy. Stroud's close there too. Um, but look, Young's toughness, his ability to make plays under pressure, his ability to make plays out of the shadow and goal line of his own end zone, that's always stood out to me. And I think we have to say, you know, the, the size argument will be used against him in some ways. Yes, I always think you can use the size argument as a plus for him here. He's a smaller guy. He's going to be a little bit tougher to play the position mentally and physically. Sure. Um, so I think, you know, Bryce Young checks that box there. Perfect. Perfect. Arm talent. All four of the guys at the top are really impressive here. <laughs> but I think Richardson, yeah. I mean, it, pure velocity and arm yes. strength is probably Richardson. And, you know, it, this gets into a weird sort of nebula. Arm talent, you can go in a couple of different ways, right? Like pure arm strength and velocity, it's Richardson easy. Right. Arm talent in terms of sort of layering throws, it's Stroud, but you could probably – Give him the accuracy nod there. I I'll say Richardson just because seeing his throwing session at the combine live and in person, you could feel the ground shift uh, in the quarterback discussion. It's all say Richardson. Yeah, you could feel it on TV, and I wasn't even yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I mean it inside the building, like you sensed it was like going into that Saturday morning. It was like, yeah, you know, Richardson. You know, he could play himself into the top 10. Mm-hmm. Coming out of Lucas Oil was, is he going first overall? Like, like it changed yeah. the course of four hours. Yeah. I often will say, like, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, will overjudge the combine and put too much stock in it. But then there's the opposite side that thinks it's worthless and doesn't have any meaning whatsoever. And I'm, I'm usually most vehemently against that group that says it's not worth anything. I get why they're saying it, but it means something to NFL teams. There's always a there's always a player like Richardson that starts to really start to to jump up boards and it's right. because and, of the combine, the measurables. And I think it's important, you know, I, I saw live, you know, that Saturday some people pushing back on, you know, a 40 and a half inch vertical. What does that do for a quarterback? What does it mean? Right, Here's right, what right. it means. It means he's an explosive athlete. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for a quarterback? It means explosiveness and torque in the upper body and the throwing motion, which leads to velocity, which leads to Richardson will be able to take an extra second in the pocket on some throws and still get the ball where it needs to be when it needs to be there because of that velocity, because of that explosiveness as an athlete. And so that's how it translates. Like, yes, purely in a vacuum, a quarterback running a 4-4 with a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical, the mere act of doing those two very hyper-specific things, how often is he going to run a 40-yard dash at a straight line, how often is he going to jump straight up from a standing starting point? Like That doesn't happen, but the other things that that leads to do happen on the field, and that's why – you know, with the combine, you have to look at how the drills translate onto the field. It's like, you know, three cones for receivers and defensive backs, like change of direction skills and things like that. And for a quarterback, that explosiveness as an athlete, as measured by the broad, the vertical and all that stuff, translates to torque, translates to velocity, translates to that extra half second in the pocket to make yep. sure your eyes are actually telling you the right thing. Yeah, perfectly said. Next quarterback trait, safest bet. 
I think Stroud's the safest. Yeah, that was Stroud's that was my the safest. Vote. Um, yeah. and and you know, I think Stroud and Young are both relatively safe. I think what sort of gives Stroud the nod is the the size, the frame, and, and you know, I, I think Young does a very good job at protecting himself. Um, JT O'Sullivan was on with me at times past couple of weeks, and he talked about you know when he was playing, yeah, he's probably 35, 40 pounds bigger than Young. He would feel beat up. But Yun does such a very good job at protecting himself, and you can see that on film. But it just takes one shot, you know, and it might have to, you know, go into how he's used. You might not use him as much in the run game. I think Stroud, at the bare minimum of dropping back and throwing and doing things like that from the pocket, makes him the safest guy. He might not have the floor, I mean, the ceiling, excuse me, of a Richardson or even a Yun, perhaps. But I think he's going to be a very good NFL quarterback and could just go from there. So this might be the same player. So I'll ask the last two traits at the same time. If they're different players, then we can just answer them differently. Biggest risk, highest reward. Two separate questions. Biggest risk, highest reward. Yeah, I mean, I, you could almost say that, yeah, they're the same player with Richardson. You could do it that yeah. way. I do sort of think that Levis is perhaps the biggest risk um, just because there's more that has to happen from a mechanical footwork throw-in perspective that I don't know if it gets fixed at the next level. And I honestly, I, I feel this way, Mike, about it. When the Panthers came up out of nine, I thought, great for Carolina. This is really bad for Will Levis. Because when Carolina was sitting at nine, I thought, okay, if they end up with Will Levis, if they end up with QB4, if they can't move up, that's a great spot for Will Levis because they've put so much coaching talent Caldwell, McCown. Right. Like on Deuce Daly, on down. They put so much wisdom and experience and record coaches with a record of quarterback development, even if you include Josh McDowell when he was a player slash coach with the Jets with Sam Donald, sure. that if Levis ended up there, it would be great for him because that's a swap where it could work. I don't know if that happens. And so now I'm worried that wherever he ends up, it might not have the same sort of they might not have the same sort of staff with that record of quarterback to vote. So I think Levis is perhaps the riskiest. The most upside is Richardson um, just because of the athleticism. And, and, you know, he's very inexperienced. You know, the idea that he's raw, I sort of push back on that. A lot of the stuff that he needs to fix, I think he can only fix through game reps. Mm. And I think he can play relatively early. I don't know if he's a week one starter, but I think he play early. The upside is there. And the idea with risk with him, I still think that the athleticism he has, a lot of people look at athleticism as a quarterback and think that's a ceiling. I think it could be a floor too. Like I think, you know, you could look at a guy like say Jalen Hurts and say, okay, he was an athlete and he's developed into more of a pocket passer over these past two or three years. That athleticism set a floor for him where the Eagles found a way to use him as he developed. I think a similar argument could be made for Richardson. So I think he's got a bit more of a floor perhaps than even Levis. I love that you said that. Uh, and Hertz is a is a great example of that. Like it's it's a little easier for a team to give the quarterback as they're maturing into the position and learning the position a longer leash if they're helping them win games with their legs and their athleticism and getting out of tough situations and as long as they're not turning the ball over, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, games are over, Mark. Let's dig into some of these 2023 rookie QB class questions. I got three questions on each of seven QBs in this class. Let's start with Mr. Bryce Young, and we can't do a profile on Young without talking about his size. 5'10", 204 pounds. Many think that he... He weighed 204 pounds just to weigh 204 pounds. He's probably not even going to play at that. Thoughts and concerns about this size? Yeah, I mean, we touched on it a little bit. You're right. Yes, like, we did. I, 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 He's not playing at 204. Like 204 right. is a box check and weight. There's a reason why, you know, he was 90% water, you know, and pasta <laughs> when he stepped on the scale at Indy. Um, you know, he's probably playing more than 195 range, I bet. Um, you know, the concern about frame, it's the longevity. It's okay. It gets to scheme usage as well. Sure. You know, we just mentioned Jalen Hurts. You're not going to run uh, an offense like the Eagles ran with Jalen Hurts with Bryce Young. Jalen Hurts is a you know smaller height you know than your average quarterback, but a very stocky, well built, powerful quarterback. Bryce Young's not that kind of player, and so you'll probably still use him in the run game, but you'll more pick your spots with him. You'll want to make sure you've got, and you do this for all quarterbacks, obviously, but you really want to be sure you've got your five best options up front. You want to make sure he's well protected. Um, you might want to do some things in terms of more quick game than anything else. To you know, he's a very good processor, so he can run that kind of offense, but get the ball out of his hands quickly. But you know, it is a concern. I think the fact that he came in at five ten two oh four, while it may be. You know, in some ways, a facade, it checked the box. Mm-hmm. So a general manager, you know, the men and women in the room that are making that decision could say, well, Kyler was around that size. Baker mm-hmm. was around that size. They went first overall. If he had come in at, say, 5'10", 190, which was probably what he's playing at or close to that, then it's okay. He's not just an outlier. He's like the historical outlier at the right. position. It's a little dicier. Um, so I think the fact that he came in the way he did, whether it's Carolina at one, Houston at two, I still think he goes in the top two picks. Speaking of which, let's talk about team fit there. So if he goes to Carolina or he goes to Houston, which do you like out of those two more for specifically Bryce Young? It, it, it's tough okay. because I think Carolina is going to do I, – I think Houston's probably the better fit, like say schematically. But I, I'm just as I mentioned earlier, I'm just still so impressed with coaching what staff. Carolina did as yeah. a coaching staff perspective, where I think that whoever ends up at Carolina is probably my QB one going forward, just because I think they've put so much around that position. But I do think that like the kind of offense that Frank Reich traditionally runs, I think fits Stroud better. And Young would probably be a better fit in Houston. But I, I think both of those two, they're very sort of fit agnostic. Like I think where either where either one ends up, they're going to be okay. But I just do think generally speaking, the specific offense we've tended to see from Frank Reich probably favors Stroud over Young. Talk a little bit before we move on to Stroud, which I know whenever we talk about Bryce Young, you always get some Stroud talk in there. But before we do that, um, Let's just compare them right here, straightforward, before we get to Stroud and say, for fantasy, not your rankings or how you feel about them, for fantasy, Bryce Young or CJ Stroud for you and why? I almost want to say Young mm-hmm. just because he's a bit more creative. Mm-hmm. He's a bit more aggressive in off structure, outside the pocket situations. I think that's an area where Stroud can probably stand to improve a bit. You know, when Stroud breaks the pocket, it's he'll still throw a check down or he won't 
take some risks. I think Yun's a bit more aggressive, a bit more, you know, say audacious when he gets outside the pocket. If he's got a an option opportunity to let it go downfield, he'll let it go. So you might get some big explosive plays. You might get some big numbers, some big, you know, video game numbers from him at times. Uh, so I think fantasy wise, Yun's probably the guy that I expect to see bigger things from. Um, you know, rankings wise, you know, I obviously have Stroud where I do. And I think NFL coaches are sort of going to like Stroud for that reason. But Yuns does some electric things outside the pocket and he's going to add some things with his legs with you've got proof of concept there. Stroud hasn't done it as much. So you don't know if it's going to carry over to the NFL. Perfect. So moving over to Stroud almost effortlessly, you talked about the Georgia game, which has been known to be like a true coming out party. Not that he didn't have one hell of two years over there, but it definitely showed a lot because Georgia is legit. What impressed you most in that game? I think it was the ability, again, the the questions that he faced was, okay, is he just a jugs machine? Mm-hmm. Is he just, you know, you prop him up in the pocket eight yards deep and he's going to put the ball where it needs to be. But as soon as you move him off of that spot, the jugs machine sort of topples over and things go haywire. And he showed, look, against arguably the best defense in the country, you know, a back-to-back national championship team. I could make plays outside the pocket. I could create with my legs. I could, you know, make throws in the face of pressure, which was a huge question mark that people had going in. And frankly, is a question that people still sort of have with them because they're like, was this just a one-off? I, I don't think it was. And I think, look, if you, it didn't happen often, obviously, but if you look through his film and watch like every single game, every chart, every you'll see flashes here and there, Mike, where he's he's doing it. It's just he wasn't doing it to that extent, you know, that frequency against that defense on that stage. Now you already mentioned that CJ Stroud is probably your safest floor or your safest player. What's his ceiling though? I think when a lot of people are gonna choose Stroud over Young. They're going to wonder that exact question. Is he Kirk Cousins? Is he better than Kirk Cousins? Could he be? What is think, his ceiling? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the ceiling is probably in the realm of, like, say, a Dak. Okay. You know, um, yep. you know, I, I, I think the sort of floor for him is Kirk. Like okay. he gets to the NFL, the athleticism doesn't translate. We saw in Georgia doesn't translate as as much. He's still more of that pocket passer, accurate quarterback. Then you get Kirk Cousins, which you know is still probably one of the top twelve quarterbacks in the league, yep. but maybe not somebody that's going to move the needle a ton fantasy wise. Uh, maybe not somebody that's going to like carry a team to a Super Bowl. He's more that guy you win games with, mm-hmm. which is still a very good quarterback. One of the best in the, you know, one of the above average to, you know, solidly above average quarterbacks, but he's not a, one of the elites. Um, I, I think his ceiling is a guy that gets into conversation as one of the game's elite passers at some point. That's his ceiling. Now, does he get there? Of course, that's the ultimate question. Of course. But I think, you know, the floor for him, is still a very good to great kind of NFL quarterback, just not one of the game's elites. In two seasons, he compiled a 21-4 and record while throwing for 8,123 yards and 85 touchdowns. Both of those numbers are second in program history, but his big-time numbers came with the reality that he never beat Michigan. Um we talk a little bit about competitive toughness. We talk about, um, or I do. I, I love to. I love to talk about players that show up big in big games. Uh, we have some great NFL players that never really won the big one. Any of this set off any red flags at all for you? Like, is there any sort of like read between the lines? Not really. I mean, 
mostly because, you know, watching him, you know, in some of those games, he had some good games, you know, on big stages. Obviously, he never beat Michigan, but to rebound the way he did have that game against Georgia, I thought, you know, was a great example of that competitive toughness that we're looking for. Because, you know, there are a lot of people that question why Ohio State was even in that game, probably didn't have much of a chance to win that game. And they go out and for all intents and purposes, they won that game. You just couldn't finish it at the end through no fault of Strouds. He had him in a position to win that game. And so, you know, it's, it's certainly something to consider. And I know it's something that eats at him. And the fact that it does eat at him and the fact that he mm. does talk about it and talked about it at length at the combine tells me that, like, yeah, he's probably somebody that wherever his career ends up, that's still going to eat at him 30 years down the road. And that's kind of what you want in a quarterback. Yeah. No, I like that. I like how you spun that, too. All right. We're going to move on to Anthony Richardson. How do you think Anthony Richardson will transition to the pro-style offense in the NFL, and how long do you think he should wait? You kind of hit this at the top of the show a little bit. I think you are you're you have um, um, a less than mo- – most people are saying, like, sit a year or more. <laughs> and I think what, you, what, what I think I heard you say at the top of the show is you're, you're not – you don't want to – you don't want him – out there necessarily week one either but um it doesn't necessarily need to be a whole season depending on the situation no i want to see him play next year um nice. now uh there are some scenarios where he could sit next year you know if he goes to detroit if he goes to mm-hmm. seattle mm-hmm. you know where they've got established quarterbacks but they're probably saying all right but here's an opportunity we don't expect to be picking this high anytime soon or we haven't picked this high mm-hmm. as carol and schneider talked a lot about at the combine we don't usually pick in the fives um so this is a chance to grab a franchise quarterback they don't grow in trees you know maybe you would sit him for a year behind gino or golf but you know for say indianapolis i think that's an opportunity maybe you're not starting them right away but by halloween get him on the field you know because i do think he needs reps you know and i i think that he'll translate well provided there's a one of the sort of fears that I have with Richardson is that his eventual NFL staff is going to think they're helping him, but make things worse for him from a developmental standpoint. They'll give him sort of a dumbed down, simplified offense. When in reality, if you watch him on film, he's moving defenders with his eyes. He's working through reads. He's recognizing spun safety coverages and his eyes tend to be where they need to be. It's sometimes the eyes and the feet aren't quite matched up, which Mm -hmm. leads to some of the inaccuracy and ball placement issues. And he's had some drops and things like that as well, which have had, you know, an impact on those completion percentage numbers, which people then point to talk about the inaccuracy. I I think there's a lot going on there. Sure. So I want to see him play early. Now, again, it might not be week one, but I want to see him on the field. It's, you know, we used to sort of, and I used to believe years ago that, yeah, you could learn by watching. And in some senses you can, but for the things he needs to fix, you got to do, it. you know, you, you got to be on the field. You got to be playing. Um, so I think he'll translate well, but that's provided that the coaching staff doesn't say, oh, we're just going to give you one read and let you run. Give him the full playbook, give him the full offense, let him learn it. Don't put training wheels on him or anything like that. Let him go, let him rip whenever you let him see the field. You got a landing spot in mind that would... Uh... I do like Indianapolis for him. Yeah. I, I really do. Just because you look at what Shane Steichen did with Jalen Hurts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they they gave him pretty much a full offense. Like, they use him as an athlete, of course. They let him, you know, it gets to the athleticism as part of the floor argument. But then they sort of started 
building around him, building up what he was asked to do. And I, I think there's a record of quarterback development there, a record of developing an athletic quarterback, perhaps the best way possible that they could replicate in Indianapolis. And so I, I think Indy just makes a lot of sense to me. We talked about the combine at the top of the show. We talked about his athleticism, ranked number one QB at the combine all time. In 2023, yeah. he was a top 10 athlete at the entire combine, including running backs, wide receivers, corners, all of it. He's got speed. He's got upside. Tell me about his arm and his accuracy. Well, the arm talent from a sort of velocity standpoint is there. The, the accuracy, there are, you know, like I sort of alluded to, there are some issues mm-hmm. there that, you know, maybe sort of cloud the picture a little bit, right? There were some drops. Um, but I think for the most part, it's getting the eyes and the feet completely in sync is going to be the big issue for him. And for a lot of quarterbacks, you know, when when it's the eyes that are the problem, when it's, you know, a neck up issue, that can never get fixed. Right. With him, it's the opposite. It's more sort of lower body on down. And I also think that, you know, I saw this argument sort of making its way through social media. And I think there's some credence to it. The years of, oh, you can't fix inaccuracies are kind of out the window because mm. we're seeing so much done you know, year round, private quarterback coaches, throwing coaches, all that stuff. Not to say that players weren't doing this in the past, but we're seeing more and more quarterbacks. You know, everybody points to Josh Allen. Dak Prescott, in a similar vein, had ball placement inconsistencies coming out of Mississippi State, but sort of figured that out a little bit. You know, we're seeing perhaps with the work that's going in in the offseason, an ability to get better at, and then part of the coaching work is better, you know, with, you know, film work and video work and all the stuff that we can do now to train quarterbacks, I I think we're getting to a better spot where you can fix some ball placement issues. You can improve accuracy and completion percentage. And so I think it can get done. Um, Again, when you're having to do that while fixing some other things, like that's, you know, so you're going to want to be patient with him. But I certainly think he can get to where he needs to be. All right. We're going to get to quarterback number four, Will Levis. Mark. Why does the fantasy community dislike Will Levis so much? I there's I mean the, there's a pithy answer to it, and we're angry he didn't come out last year. Okay, because um, last year he would have been QB one, but last year's film was pretty good. There was a reason why people were excited about Will Levis, and there's also reasons why last year's film was good. He was surrounded by better talent. He had a better offensive line in front of him. He had a receiver that ended up going early in the draft that left. Um, now he's this past season on a new offensive coordinator. Some of that talent wasn't there. He gets the foot injury. And then, oh, look around. You've got Stroud, Young, and then the rise of Anthony Richardson and Hendon Hooker as well. Suddenly it sort of makes him look worse by default. You know, and I think the other thing is there are mechanical footwork issues with him. There's decision-making flaws with him. There's mistakes that he's made that worry people, not just you know, people in the fantasy community, but I think NFL scouts and evaluators as well. You're worried about, okay, is he going to throw three touchdowns one week and three picks the next? Like, mm-hmm. is it going to be an absolute roller coaster his entire NFL career? I mean, those are all some reasons to sort of, you know, be a little wary about Will Levis. Should we be talking more about Levis's mobility and athleticism himself? I, I think so. Because, um, you know, he's not Richardson. Nope. Um, but he's athletic. Um, I, I think the the foot injury, the toe injury sort of held him back this year. But, you know, it, it, and if we sort of coalesce around the idea that athleticism more sets the floor than sets the ceiling, mm-hmm. that's going to give him 
a similar pathway where you could see a quarterback, you yeah. know, a coach, uh, an offensive coordinator, structure an offense around him. Like, you know, Tennessee is sort of a place he's been linked to a lot. And some of the stuff they do with Tannehill with the, the boot action and moving him around, that would probably be a good environment for him as well. And so I think his athleticism could be something that helps him fix the things that he needs to fix. What is your favorite attribute with Will Levis? Well, it's certainly not eating banana peels and putting mayo in his coffee. It's certainly not those. Um, <laughs> that's not it. No, that's not it. I, I, I think – there are things that he did in 01. I mean, she's in 21. Yeah. That were really impressive from a operating an offense that you tend to see more of in the NFL. Okay. Um, under center, deep drops off of play action, you know, back to the defense play action throws, which I think, you know, get into decision making, that decision making window. And when you've got to turn your back to the defense and come back and pick things up and go from there and your decision making window is compressed. He does a very good job in those moments. And so I think those are things that stood out to me, certainly watching him in 21, did some of it in 22 that I think are going to help him as he transitions to the NFL. Great, great. We're going to move on to Hendon Hooker, who has gained a lot of steam over the last three weeks. Do you think that he would have been a first round NFL pick, which he honestly still might be, um, had he got had he not gotten injured? Would he be a late first if he was not injured? Probably. It's probably more likely. I mean, he's got, you know, three sort of knocks against him. And honestly, the, the knee is the one that worries me maybe the least of the three. Okay. You know, uh, just because the medical advancements are the right. way they are. They're like, you know, maybe he's you're not drafting him to play right away, but what are the reasons that you're seeing teams linked to him? Detroit at 18, Minnesota at 23. Again, teams that might not need a quarterback right away, but it's an opportunity to draft a first-round quarterback for 2024. Okay. Um, and so I think the knee kind of isn't as much of a concern. Um, so there's that, there's the age, but quarterbacks, a, they're playing earlier. It's not like you're drafting a 26 year old quarterback and sitting them for three years and he's 29 before he takes a snap. They're playing early and the ones that make it stick later. You know, it's not like a three year window here. I agree. The one that worries me the most is the offense that he ran. Okay. And I do wonder, you know, eight years ago, air raid quarterbacks were not getting drafted first overall. But then we've seen the success of air raid quarterbacks coupled with air raid coaches working their way into the NFL. There's more of an open mind around air raid quarterbacks. Certainly when you have Patrick Mahomes doing what he's done, that makes it a little bit easier of an argument. The offense that he ran, Josh Heupel's offense, which you know has its origins in uh, Bryles and the Baylor offense with a lot of like one and two receiver routes where the other two guys don't even move off the line. You're not seeing too many coaches running that on NFL Sundays, you know? And so I wonder if the biggest knock on Hooker is the fact that maybe he's three years ahead of his time, you know, because three years down the road, some of Hypo's assistants are going to be in the NFL or people have copied some of that offense and moved it into their NFL systems. And so I wonder if that could be enough because that might be something that holds him back from a developmental standpoint in terms of, okay, now you're running a more complete full field read type of system. Um, So that might be something that worries me, but the knee thing, that doesn't worry me so much. 
Oh, that's that's great stuff. Cause uh, I'm getting wrapped up in the hand hand and hooker hype as well, and I I love that that little dose of uh, realism. In fact, you know uh, what a lot of people are worried about is the injury or a year off because of the injury, whatever, and they're focused on that, and they're more thinking about what I asked you, which is, the, oh, he would have been right up there with the other guys. I think you're saying slow down, not so much. The other guys, the other guys yeah, do have I mean, some separation. The other guys do have some separation. Now, look, Hendon Hooker certainly has some things that he does well, particularly pushing the ball downfield and things like that. And he has people that are certainly in his camp. I've seen some people have him as high as QB3, mm-hmm. um, which again, as I said at the outset, like if you want to tell me Hendon Hooker is your QB1, it might be a weaker argument than for some of the other guys, certainly Stroud and Young, but okay, like the production and such was there that if you want to go out on the limb and make that okay, it, it's not completely outlandish. Um, you know, so there are things to like about him. I just think that if you're expecting him to come in and say, maybe not this year because of the need, he might not play, or, you know, if he plays, it'll be limited, you know, but if you're expecting those kind of video game numbers in 24, you might need to temper expectations a bit because the offense he was running is not one you're good. Now, look, if if suddenly he's drafted by a team, they fire the head coach, and then, right. although behold, Josh Hypo is his new head coach, <laughs> like then, yeah, maybe <laughs> it comes together nicely for him. But absent something like that yeah. or a, a similar-minded coach taking over, temper expectations a bit. Is there a team in mind? I do like Seattle with their second first round pick or if they do it sort of, you know, in this at the top of the second round. Right. Um, because again, you know, that's a situation where, you know, he's not going to play right away because of Gino. Yeah. Um, you've got time to sort of d- medically developmentally redshirt him for a season. He can, there have been a lot of sort of Gino comparisons in a way. Uh, a lot of people have uh, said that, look, you know, Gino had this sort of late stage in his career sort of bloom. Uh, maybe that's something for Hendon Hooker. So I don't know, maybe it, if he's there at 20, might they consider it if they don't go QB? Possibly, maybe at 37. But I do sort of like Seattle and Hendon Hooker. I think that does make a lot of sense. Good, good. I actually was thinking the same thing, that this, yeah. just from what I was hearing. And it just it I've also been hearing it from a lot of like NFL pundits just because it, it, it feels like, again, with the Geno Smith placeholder, if you will, it, it does make some sense for yeah. sure. I knew we were going to talk about Stroud and Young and Levis, and Richardson, and even Hooker. But you wanted to add two more names. One of them is Tanner McKee. Why did you want to add Tanner to our list this evening? Tell me a little bit about Tanner McKee. I mean, mostly because if this were 2005, we might be talking about him as QB1. I mean, and it's it's an interesting look at how this game has changed because he's your 6'6", fairly big-armed pocket passer. And in the NFL that I grew up watching – He's probably the guy. I mean, he's he's in many ways Joe Flacco. You know, mm-hmm. that's a fair comparison, I think, okay. for him. But I don't think Joe Flacco is getting drafted yeah. in the first Good point. two rounds in today's NFL because yeah. of the athleticism you want at the position. Now, you know, there are some moments where, you know, he moves around fairly well in the pocket. Like, I'm pulling up my notes right here. Um, but still, it's not – Richardson. It's certainly not Richardson. It's not Levis, even. It's not Stroud, even. I mean, he's very much that sort of pocket passer that, you know, has that sort of big arm. Um, You know, there are some moments where you like what he does from a thought process standpoint. I'm looking through, again, notes against Washington, Oregon State. Um, 
you know, he had a throw against UCLA where he hangs in there against the blitz, takes an absolute shot, uh, but throws a post route against the rotation into a cover two look for a big gain. And that's like, that's NFL quarterback. And that's great. It's just what happens when he has to move, what happens mm-hmm. when he, you know, has to sort of create. It's very much, if you think back to before the Georgia game, Shroud, right? Like, the concerns about Stroud, well, I think they're sort of magnified with Tanner McKee. Now, once you get past, and I had a, a fascinating discussion with Derek Clawson and uh, Benjamin Solak at the Combine, you know, on that throwing session uh, while we we're watching from the stands. And, you know, once you get past, say, that first group of four, mm-hmm. they all sort of have something that they do well, but you're going to have to sacrifice other stuff. And McKee's one of those guys at the arm and what he does from the confines of the pocket is pretty good. It's just you're sacrificing everything outside that like five yard box. Um, that's more of a question mark. If you think you could still make that work with your team as an NFL organization, then great. Maybe he ends up being your QB five. And for I think PFF, he's their QB five, and they view him as a French first round prospect. I don't go that high, but I think it's more a function of where we are in today's NFL that he doesn't have the athleticism, the ability, and all that stuff that the game is trending towards at the position. I read that he has an unorthodox throwing style. Do you know anything about that? Have you yeah, seen that? I mean, it's 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 a bit like the, the arm slot is a little bit off. Okay. It's a little bit different. Um, you know, it's not completely sort of over the top, which is a six six quarterback. If you're you know yeah. sort of all the way up here, I mean that's you know, you're throwing it from eight feet in the air. I mean, I mean, <laughs> so so that's part of it. Um, you know, in he he's sort of the lower body mechanics are a bit sort of inconsistent. I mean, I think the ultimate question is, you know, he didn't have a similar to Levis, didn't have a great supporting cast around him. Mm-hmm. And so maybe an NFL coaching staff looks at him and says, get him in our building with our talent. We can make him into something better. Get him into mm-hmm. our strength and conditioning program. We can get a little bit more athleticism out of him. Maybe they talk themselves into, you know, sometime on day two, taking that sort of flyer on him. I was going to say, in your mind, is he more of a, a possible NFL starter or just a really good NFL backup? I, I, I think he's got starter potential. Okay. Excellent. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately he's probably going to be your, you know, spot starter, long-term backup type, but he's got some things that would help him as an NFL starter. So I think it's possible. It's just not as likely as the guys we've already talked about. Right. Of course. All right. You wanted to add one more quarterback. This is our seventh quarterback on the list. Jake Hayner. Did I say yep. that right? Yep. Jake Hayner. Uh, below average size and arm talent, but noted for his above average football IQ. Why are we talking about Hayner today? Because when you asked me earlier about competitive toughness, this is the guy I should have probably mentioned as oh, nice. silver medalist. Um, not this past season, but the season before that. Watch his game against UCLA. That's all you need to watch. Because he had... I don't know if it was an absolute actual fracture, but messed up his hip in that game, stayed in and beat UCLA on the road. Oh, wow. Um, you know, checks that competitive toughness box. You know, he's smaller, doesn't have a big arm, you know, and in the years I've been doing this, you know, when we get to this sort of guy that you know is going to be, if nothing else, a long-term backup spot starter in the NFL and do it for like 15 years and do it really well and play for a bunch of different teams and make a ton of money and then go on and take my job. It used to be okay. That's Colt McCoy, right? Mm. Now it's Taylor Heineke, and he's in that mold. Um, he's somebody that I think is going to be in the NFL for a long time. Extremely competitively tough. This year, too, he had 
you know, a lower body injury. And I forget what exactly the injury was. There was some murkiness around it. They thought his season was going to be over. He was back for the conference championship game. He was like, no, I'm coming back for this. Like as tough as it gets at the position. And as we talked about earlier, competitive toughness matters so much at the quarterback position, that ability to lead by example. It's, it's, it's not a snap to whistle job. It's a Monday morning in the meeting room to whistle job. Like you've got to be the leader. You've got to inspire those around you. That's Jake Hayner. Oh, I, I really love that you added him to the list now. Um, yeah. I did I did uh, do some research. He's uh, TD to interception ratio, 53 to 12 over the past two seasons. The guy knows how to take care of the ball. Yep. Um, they also said um, he scans the field while working through progressions. I love hearing that at the college level. So he, do you agree with the, the working through progressions? Because I know a lot of quarterbacks – that seem to, you know, bad ones or average ones or backups that wind up not being able to see past their first read. Um, is does he have does he have that football IQ that we were talking about a little earlier? Absolutely. I mean, look, the first note, the very first play, I, I've got this like little, you know, I'm gonna hold it up for you on the camera here. You see the green highlights there. Yes. Those are good plays. Green is good. And that very <laughs> first play opens right to the boundary side where they've got a flat seven match concept that's covered, works back to the other side where they've got a driftish concept, fights in the pocket, keeps his eyes down field makes an anticipation throw work in full field like the first note right there now it's just sort of luck of the draw that's the first game i watched the first play there but <laughs> he does it he does that full field he's got that football iq makes anticipation throws i really like his ball placement too you know and one of the things that you know i used to be so dogmatic years ago like you have to know the coverage you have to know everything you've got to like break it all down you've got to sure. be Put the football where it needs to be, what it needs to be there. If you can't tell the difference between cover two and cover three, well, you might need to work on that. But if you can put the football where it needs to be away from the nearest defender's leverage, that's pretty good. That's a really good starter point. Jay Kaner does that at a high level. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm really glad that we or that you added him to this list. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm a fan of his <laughs> game. Like, you know, and not that, like I'm I'm not expecting him to be a first rounder. I'm not expecting right. him to maybe even get into day two. Right. But I'm very excited to see where he lands. And it would not surprise me as we get towards like training camp and first couple of preseason games of wherever he ends up. It's well, this Jake Hanner kids making a little bit of noise in training camp because mm-hmm. I think he's that kind of player. All right. I love it. Thanks for an early look into that. Yep. All right. So I got some landing spot reactions for you. Will Levis to the Vikings at pick 10 in a move up. I'm fascinated by that because, you know, I mentioned earlier that sort of under center boot action, move the quarterback around Mm -hmm. offense with Tennessee. Mm -hmm. That's Minnesota too. You know, I I think Kevin O'Connell would find a way to sort of tailor what they do offensively to Will Levis. And you're hearing a lot in recent days about – the Minnesota Vikings and a quarterback. And yep. we'll record this on April 10th. And earlier today, it came out that the Cardinals have spoken to about six teams about a move up to three. And Josh Norris, who we know both know and love, he mentioned the Vikings. Uh-huh. You know, now, obviously, that's coming up from 23 to three is a big leap. You'd- but I think the idea of the Vikings coming up for a quarterback is something we should be monitoring. Maybe they can't get to three, but getting up to 10 for Will Levis and ahead of Tennessee at 11. I like where he heads at there. And I think that would be a very good landing spot for him. Nice. Glad we hit that one. I got another interesting one. In a trade up again, round two, 36 pick overall, Hendon Hooker goes to the Raiders. I think the world of Josh McDaniels as an offensive coordinator 
I like the world of Josh McDaniels as a play caller and play designer. My thoughts on him on, in terms of quarterback development are a bit more mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, look, there's the Tim Tebow out in Denver, that sort of scenario. I think he did some things well with Mac Jones last year in their one season together in New England. So I think Josh McDaniels can develop a quarterback. It's just the record isn't as solid as some other guys, in, in, you know, some other coaches in the NFL. Um, you know, but that being said, he'll have the luxury of Jimmy Garoppolo mm-hmm. in place to sort of bridge two-handed hooker. And with Garoppolo in place and doing this at the top of the second round as opposed to late first, there's going to be less pressure to get Hendon Hooker onto the field before he's ready. And I think the one thing about Josh McDaniels as an offensive play call that would be almost perfect for Hendon Hooker is McDaniels is so good at identifying matchups pre-snap, using motion personnel, creating mismatches pre-snap, and then giving the quarterback pretty much an easy read and decision and throw. I mean, it's one of the things that he did really well at. That's not the same sort of Josh Hypo offense, but you can see some sort of philosophical similarities where it's like, okay, look, we're we're having four options on this play, but what we're really trying to do, Hendon, is to hit the tight end on this round. Oh, we're really trying to get the back matched up against a linebacker here. So it's sort of that similar where it's like, look, your, your eyes are going to be focused in one area to start. We can fill in the rest. And so, you know, I do have my general reservations about McDaniels because I think the jury's out on him as on, in developing a quarterback. But headed hooker there does really sort of intrigue me. This is awesome, Mark. You have uh, safely gotten us to port. I want to thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you. Tell everywhere where they can find you, your content, or anything else you want to promote. Well, Michael, thanks so much for having me. Um, I definitely enjoyed year three. Looking ahead to year four already. We're going to have another fantastic quarterback class to talk about. Uh, Like you said, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark Schofield, uh, SBNation.com. It's all NFL draft until the draft. And then after that, um, I take the NFL hat off and I put the F1 hat on uh, because I'm doing a lot of F1 coverage this year. That's the cool thing about my new job is that they're letting me expand the wings a little bit. You know, I'm right in NFL. I'm right in college hockey i'm writing all sorts of fun stuff but that's awesome um f1's kind of my my second hat so um we got a little break until the azerbaijan grand prix which is the same as draft weekend but then you know we got three races in may and we get into the heart of the the f1 schedule throughout the summer and it's a nice little break because you know football winds down for a couple of months in, yeah, in the summer does. but then i get to keep rolling right into f1 and then right into the nfl season so it's fun but at mark schoolfield on twitter sbnation.com awesome that's awesome Make sure you follow Mark if you're not already. Thanks again. And thank you, our listeners, from everyone at Rookie Fever, Swagzilla, Zero G, and of course myself. Thank you. We appreciate you. This is the Rookie Fever Podcast. Please do not forget to rate and review. And do not forget to be awesome. That is something you all know Fever is 
side. 